Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash marketplace, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash marketplace now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash marketplace. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. On the program today, jobs. I mean, some other stuff too, but mostly jobs. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace. In Los Angeles, I'm Kai Rizdal. It is Thursday, today, the 4th of January. Good as always to have you along, everybody. The touchstone for the economy this week has been the labor market. We told you about the JOLTS report the other day, layoffs and open positions. ADP, the private payroll processor, gave us their estimate of new jobs yesterday. Today, it was first-time claims for unemployment benefits. And tomorrow, of course, it's the biggie, the December jobs report. Notice, though, that I did not give you any actual data for any of those reports. Not because it doesn't matter. What's actually happening does, of course, matter. The point I want to make is that by almost every measure, the American labor market is at or better than it was in the before times. But the labor market being at those pre-pandemic statistical norms is not the same thing as the labor market being the same. Marketplace's Mitchell Hartman gets us going. Honestly, I wasn't looking for an exemplar of the post-pandemic labor market when I stepped into a coffee shop near my dentist's office on a recent weekday morning in Portland, Oregon. But there she was, tapping away next to me on her laptop. My name is Amy June, and my dog's name is Smudge. June is 31. Smudge sits patiently, waiting for treats as she works. I'm a freelance graphic designer. Sometimes I do a little bit of photography. Pretty much whatever comes my way, I try to do. Before the pandemic, June had a regular job on staff at a prestigious art museum on the East Coast. But she says the work wasn't good for her. People aren't really paid well for the amount of work they do, and they're overworked. And that was my experience, doing a lot for very little. In the summer of 2020, she got sick with a chronic illness. It was partly the stress of the pandemic and the unknown had to go on medical leave, which led to me starting my own business. June found that with so many people leaving and changing jobs or going out on their own, she had plenty of design work and plenty of company. I can work in different environments like a coffee shop where I feel more inspired or work later at night. I've had this huge adjustment over the past few years, what my work life looks like. 
Multiplied by millions of workers, this is a major structural shift, says Alex Colvin at the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations. More workers doing remote work, working hybrid. It seems that that really is here to last. Dean Baker at the Center for Economic and Policy Research has run the numbers. People returning to office is pretty much plateaued in most cities. So about 10 million more people working from home on a daily basis than pre-pandemic. And Baker says a wide range of workers are benefiting. There's been a big increase in self-employment that's disproportionately among women of color and women with children. So it seems that they're taking advantage of the opportunity to work at home and start a business at home. From self-employment to self-empowerment, another major shift, says Alex Colvin, is more workers banding together. There was quite a bit of unrest during the pandemic. People worried about health and safety in the workplace. And there was some question whether that would just sort of go away when we go back to usual. But we have seen an upsurge of worker activism. It's being channeled in different ways, you know, organizing strikes. That's partly a function of the tight post-pandemic labor market. Workers have more leverage and can take more risks when employers are scrambling to hire. Meanwhile, unemployment remains near historic lows, reverting to a trend we saw just before the pandemic hit. And behind that is potentially the most profound long-term economic change, says former Labor Department chief economist Heidi Shearholtz. We've had unemployment at less than 4% for almost two years now. We can actually sustain really low unemployment rates without causing big issues in the economy. Issues like runaway inflation. Sherholt says keeping people in jobs and off the unemployment rolls has lasting ripple effects. Low unemployment labor markets reduce black-white employment and wage gaps, reduce poverty, they reduce child poverty. So this is a lesson Fed policymakers should take to heart, says Shearholtz. They can let the job market run really hot, benefiting workers up and down the income ladder, without danger of an economic crack-up. I'm Mitchell Hartman for Marketplace. Speaking, as Mitchell was right there at the end of Fed policymakers, here's a new name for you to know. The Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis has named economist Alberto Musalem its new president and CEO. The way the Fed's got the rotation set up, Musalem gets a vote on interest rates next year. Wall Street on this Thursday, quite a bit calmer, actually. We'll have the details when we do the numbers. if I might, to set up this next piece. A daily stage where fingers dance. A symphony of clicks, by chance. Each press a step in a ceaseless ballet, crafting words and worlds in endless array. What am I? If you guessed keyboard, first of all, gold star. Second of all, I did not write that. Chat GPT did, which is relevant because Microsoft announced today it's going to be adding a new artificial intelligence key to its PC keyboards. One tap and the key opens up Microsoft Copilot, the company's AI helper, I guess you'd call it. It's the first big change that Microsoft's made to PC keyboards since 1994. 
four before the Internet really took off, right? Before smartphones as well, which kind of does say something about how humans and this economy adapt to new technologies. Marketplace's Matt Levin is on it. Jared Spool worked for a company in the early 1980s that designed some of the first PC keyboards. People wanted to take what was the best of typewriter technology at the time and turn it into a keyboard that would be comfortable to use and would basically endure the test of time. Those early prototypes Spool worked on had some now pretty antiquated features, a do key that ultimately didn't do all that much, a help key that proved not so helpful. But the inverted T arrow pad and the QWERTY layout and the rest of the basics, check your laptop or iPhone or search for something by name on Netflix. No one's come up with anything that has been remarkably better. Part of the reason is just user inertia. We spend all those hours with Mavis Beacon and don't want to learn something new. Per Ola Christensen researches AI at the University of Cambridge. Humans evolve at a very slow rate. Technology evolves at a very high rate. And even though AI is pretty good at speech recognition, Christensen says for work, we'll still be mostly using keyboards to boss AI around, not our voices. You can speak very quickly, that's true. But you probably can't think of good original thoughts that quickly. A lot of why Microsoft is adding the AI key is symbolism. Telling the world, hey, this is a big deal, so we're going to put it pretty close to the space bar. Yusuf Mehdi is Microsoft's chief consumer marketing officer. The last change we did is we put the Windows key on the keyboard because we said, wow, Windows is going to change how people use computers. Now we're putting the Copilot key 30 years later. That's how profound it will be. Jared Spool, the OG keyboard designer, is skeptical. He's a bit concerned about where the AI key is located, where the menu key used to be, pretty close to the arrow pad. I 100% predict that a year from now, most of the conversation around this button will be how it's inconveniently placed. And if you hit that AI key by accident, well, there's not a help key around to figure out what to do next. I'm Matt Levin for Marketplace. We learned yesterday that Americans bought 15.5 million new vehicles last year. That's a 12% increase from 2022. Also increasing the size of a lot of what's on the roads. The 2023 model of the galactically popular Ford F-150 weighs about 800 pounds more than its 1991 version did. The phenomenon of cars and trucks becoming more and more ginormous is known as car bloat. And the costs that come with that bloat, financial and otherwise, are in fact pretty steep. David Zipper is a senior fellow at the MIT Mobility Initiative, and he wrote about that in Slate recently. David, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Is there a moment you can point to in the the long history of the American automobile industry where we turn the corner and car bloat sort of started happening? Yeah, I would say that it's probably in uh, the late 1970s when a sort of now forgotten company 
called AMC uh, repositioned the Jeep, the old military vehicle, Mm -hmm. to be a modern SUV for suburban and urban uh, shoppers for for cars. And, um, you know, fast forward and SUVs are the most popular vehicle type today. And, And there's a classification thing, too, right? Because the government says, well, yeah, you know, they're kind of like driving passengers around, but we're going to classify them differently. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, The federal government, at the prompting of companies like AMC that were looking to sell SUVs, decided to classify SUVs as light trucks, which would have more relaxed fuel economy standards than passenger vehicles like sedans and station wagons. And it paved the way to really where we are now, where you know, 80% plus of the new car market today is is comprised of, of SUVs and pickups. So so let's get down then to the brass tacks and why we wanted to talk to you. And that is the ramification, the real world impact of car bloat. And you tick through a couple of them in the piece. The first one that I want to touch on is safety. These cars are bigger and heavier. And if you get in an accident and you're on the other end of it, it is not going to end well. That's exactly right. A car that is taller, a car that is heavier is going to exert more force in a crash. That is bad news for someone who's in a smaller car on the other side of of that incident. And lo and behold, by the way, we are now at a 40-year high in the U.S. in pedestrian Mm -hmm. and cyclist deaths. Another one of the invisible costs that you tick through, uh, it's a couple, I'm going to lump them together, but basically uh, there is the environmental aspect of these things. They spew out, the gasoline-powered ones spew out more pollution because they're pushing heavier cars. Also, they are rougher on our highways. That's exactly right. Cars that are big and cars that are heavy are going to require a lot of power to move. So that means a lot more power consumption, a lot more pollution, and a lot more force exerted on the tires, which will erode faster, all else being equal. And we're only now starting to realize how much of a problem that is yeah. uh, with, with tire pollution leading to uh, die-offs for, for fish and potentially harming other wildlife as well. Hmm. All right. So here comes a potentially touchy question and you can dodge it if you want. But if you look at car ads, and this has been true for many years, it's not new. It's all about the freedom of the American road and the freedom to drive as big a car as we want to drive. And I'm an American and I want to drive a big SUV or a truck, by golly. Um, This is an American phenomenon for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, that's right. But in America, we also believe in markets and we believe that people should be able to buy what they want at the appropriate price. And the problem in this country is that for decades, people who buy enormous, very heavy cars have been creating societal costs that they aren't paying for. That's what's called a market failure. So if we want the market for automobiles to succeed, we need to make sure that when people are shopping for their next car, They are considering the societal costs of their purchase, which is going to be a lot greater if they're going to be buying a very large model. Um, It's not a free market in this country, right? There are government regulations. And you do point out in the piece, and I think Washington, D.C. is an area where, like, if you drive a heavier car you or an EV, you have to pay a a heavier registration fee, right, because those cars are heavier. And so there is some government um, influence happening here. There's starting to be. Yeah. Uh, one uh, example that I cited in the Slate article, which I think is is quite quite smart, is in the District of Columbia, where the most heavy SUVs and trucks will now require uh, vehicle registration fees that are seven times higher than those same fees for people who are registering a very small sedan. So, you know, with policies like that, there is a recognition that if you're going to buy 
a vehicle model that's more dangerous and destructive, you're going to have to pay more. I think that's entirely appropriate. David Zipper, he's a senior fellow at the MIT Mobility Initiative, wrote a piece in Slate uh, once this interview came. David, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time and your expertise. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Obviously, if you're listening to this on the actual radio, this doesn't apply. But should you happen to have missed something in days gone by or, you know, in the future, too, we've got a podcast. Marketplace.org is where you can get the links or platform of your choice, of course. Coming up, it doesn't really ease up for us. You know, it's 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 pretty steady year round. Business is business, right? First, though, let's do the numbers. Dow Industrial is up ten points today, just a touch, just a tad, just a teeny little bit. Closed at thirty-seven thousand four hundred and forty. The Nasdaq fell eighty-one points, almost six tenths percent, and it thinks at fourteen thousand five hundred and ten. The S and P five hundred gave back sixteen points, about a third percent. 46 and 88. Walgreens Boots Alliance dropped five and a tenth percent today. The pharmacy operator posted better than expected income and revenue in its fiscal first quarter, but announced it was cutting its quarterly dividend by almost half. Eli Lilly down about a half percent. Pharmaceutical firm launched a website today that lets consumers access weight loss drugs through telehealth providers. Business leaders are feeling more optimistic about the economy. According to a new survey from J.P. Morgan Chase, it found that 40, 40 percent of mid-sized business leaders now expects that's mid-sized businesses. Not that the leaders are mid-sized, but that's a whole different thing. They expect a recession in 2024. That was versus 65% a year ago. Small businesses. Leaders there, 51% fear a recession down from 61% a year ago. You're listening to Marketplace. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash marketplace, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash marketplace now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash marketplace talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard in fact you probably don't even know where to start so that's where the newest version of the million bazillion academy steps in our email newsletter course you can start whenever and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace they'll learn about crypto the stock market and so much more and best of all it's free million bazillion academy making kids smarter about money Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. This is Marketplace. I'm Kai Rizdal. I forgot a labor market data point in that recitation I did to get Mitchell going up at the top of the program. We got numbers from the outplacement firm Challenger Gray and Christmas today about job cuts in December. They were down 
both from the previous month and as compared to December of a year ago. But the company also noted that over the past decade or so, layoffs have shifted away from the holidays and into the second quarter of the year. With the caveat that a whole lot of layoffs in the second quarter of 2020, think about it, right, pandemic, whole lot of layoffs then might have skewed those numbers just a little bit. Challenger thinks the rise of social media and the damage that can do to a company's reputation might be playing a part too. Because, as Marketplace's Henry App reports, a company's timing and tact with layoffs really do matter. Traditionally, the primary audience for a layoff announcement has not been the actual employees whose jobs are being cut, says Michael Sturman, a professor of human resources at Rutgers. It's shareholders. As a way of trying to show we are responding to business needs or we are in some way providing changes that are going to increase shareholder value directly or indirectly. But trying to deliver shareholder value in the last quarter of the year by telling a bunch of people they're fired just as they're buying gifts or planning family get-togethers is, surprise, not a popular move. Companies are recognizing we need to do layoffs a little bit more carefully with regard to the public relations associated with them. Because laid-off employees will talk, in person and on social media. Just search layoffs on TikTok to see a bunch of videos of people finding out they've been let go over a Zoom call. And that can damage a company's brand, one of its most valuable assets, says Jason Windmill at the consulting firm ArgoPoint. No executive wants to be perceived as Mr. Potter of Bedford Falls, the meanest man in the old movie It's a Wonderful Life, especially around the holidays. A more thoughtful executive, he says, will try to delay cuts for a few weeks or months. But even in April or May, a boss can still look like Mr. Potter if they don't combine timing with some humanity. Deb Best runs a human resources consultancy called Deb Best Practices in Albany, New York. You can't just look at this as my inventory of people is too high and I have to reduce the inventory immediately. She says a layoff will go down easier if employees get regular updates on the company's health in good and bad times. And if they have to lay off employees, HR managers should offer them a lot of support. You'll give a recommendation. You'll work with an outplacement firm to help them. You'll do everything you can to help them. Then those employees might be less likely to vent about the company on TikTok. I'm Henry App for Marketplace. Online shopping's been a thing for, well, practically forever now, right? But Adobe Analytics says that this past holiday season, we did something we have never done before. In the 11 or so years that they've been tracking it, Adobe says last year we consumers did most of our online holiday shopping on our phones. And while I love my phone as much as the next guy, doing stuff on a small screen, say shopping, is just different. Marketplace's Nancy Marshall-Genzer is on the Adventures in Behavioral Economics desk today. Adobe Analytics says in November and December, around 51% of online sales were made by people shopping on smartphones, including Greg Portell. I had a few minutes to kill at an airport, clicked a few buttons, and all of a sudden the big holiday purchase was done in five minutes. 
When he's not scrolling and shopping, Portel is with the management consulting firm Carney. That big holiday purchase? a record player for his daughter. And Portel says the retailer was smart. It only offered him a few choices. Because there are hundreds of record players, and their choice of showing me these three was brilliant. It was like they knew he only had a few minutes. Portel says retailers are trying to make shopping on phones as easy as possible. Vivek Pandia, lead analyst at Adobe, says consumers are getting more comfortable using their phones for impulse buys, and retailers are pushing smartphone apps to try to build loyalty among time-pressed scrollers. And that really drives how they shop, when they're shopping, and their comfortability shopping with one retailer versus the other. Those shopping apps even grabbed eyeballs on Christmas Day. Adobe says mobile shopping was highest on December 25th. Part of that was people redeeming gift cards. Paula Rosenblum with RSR Research also thinks people just got bored. You know, I'm sitting here and it's just so long I can talk to Aunt Sally, you know, and I really want to just entertain myself. And maybe Aunt Sally didn't get you what you wanted. That's why Rosenblum suspects much of the Christmas Day shopping we did on our mobile phones was for ourselves. I'm Nancy Marshall-Genzer for Marketplace. We were talking just now about how mobile is changing how we shop. But there are some things you just got to do in person, picking out a custom picture frame among them. Eric Vaughn is one of our retail regulars. Eric's I've Been Framed in Detroit, Michigan is his shop. Here's the latest. We were really busy during the holiday season. Had to order a couple times to try to fulfill uh, our calendar needs. We saw a lot of calendars for 2024. A lot of them are art-related. Some of them deals with black history and kid calendars, and I had to make sure I had enough of those to go around. Last minute is always, it happens every year. I expect it. We had to kind of balance the time that we would do consultations, and then people are just, you know, regular shopping, and that was kind of a little difficult trying to juggle because everybody wanted to get things framed. I had to kind of cut it off at a certain point because we had to have time to do the work. What we do, we do, you know, specialized framing and and custom works, and it doesn't really ease up for us. You know, it's it's pretty steady year-round. We're getting energized again in terms of business. We're we're, we're going to get some more items in to kind of replace the things that we had. More puzzles, more, uh, you know, gift items. And that's always fun to do because I always get a chance to look around and see what's out there and, and see something that uh, my clients might like and, uh, you know, restock the store. I uh, go to on vacation again <laughs> at the end of January. <laughs> yeah, we used I used to go to the uh, trade show during that time, but during the pandemic they they stopped doing it and so we started going on these cruises and 
we enjoy getting out of the cold weather here in Michigan and going to uh, sunny Aruba and Curacao. That's where we're going in 24. Can't blame him, right? Eric Vaughn making custom picture frames and a bunch of other stuff, actually, as you just heard, in Detroit. This final note on the way out today, it's a little bit inflation, a little bit consumer mood, a little bit vibe, I guess. Axios pulled the data together. Gas now, 309 a gallon national average. That's from AAA. CBS reports that about two-thirds of gas stations across the country have regular at sub three bucks. John Buckley, John Gordon, Rick Carr, Diantha Parker, Amanda Peacher, and Stephanie Seek are the marketplace editing staff. Amir Bibawe is the managing editor. I'm Kai Rizdal. We will see you tomorrow, everybody. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending, like, all my tips. I was definitely spending, like, $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.